0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Lemon
1: Retrospective 1991.
0: 1991 91 was an historic year for the Grand Prix d'Endurance and uh, the uh, Le Mans 24 hours, mainly because it was the first time a Japanese manufacturer had ever won this great race. And what remains remarkable to this day is it is still the one and only time that a car with anything other than a reciprocating piston engine has won the race, the Mazda 4 Rotor Engine. It, it was an extraordinary time, and it made headlines all around the world. And I'm delighted to say that joining me on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, from the paddock at Le Mans is Pierre Doudonnet, who was part of the Mazda team in 1991. Although Pierre, not and not for the first time in your career, not in the right car, uh, you weren't in the winning car. But that was a, an extraordinary effort. By by Mazda and by Orica and by the rest of the team. What what do you remember of 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 that year and indeed the build up to that year? Because you'd been driving for Mazda for a, for a little while.
1: Yes, well, it was uh, sensational for everybody because it it caught it caught the world by surprise and uh, to to some extent or to a, a little extent uh, even ourselves because uh, we knew we had a chance. Uh, at last, after many years' attempt to uh, to have a shot at uh, at victory, but still, uh, it wasn't it wasn't totally expected at the start of the race. Maybe maybe it was expected by those engineers who have been doing all the calculation before, uh, because it was very well prepared by the Japanese. But most of the people, yeah, it was a big surprise.
0: That seven eight seven was a beautiful car, and and I, and I mean that as it looked, it was gloriously engineered partially because of the compact nature of that four rotor engine it was a tiny little thing and that meant the packaging of the car was so much more elegant that i think than anything else at that time
1: yeah it, it was but uh if you say to uh, nigel Stroud, who was the the genius designer of uh, of that car if you tell him that it was a tiny engine he will not agree because he all the time complained the engine was long especially when they build a four rotor because as you can remember it starts as a twin rotor engine and then to increase the power mazda had a third rotor and then a fourth rotor but the fact that we had those four rotor in a line made the engine quite long and it was a bit of a challenge for the designer
0: what was it like to drive, Pierre? And how did it compare to the cars that that you had experienced uh, before in your career?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I, I had the experience all all through the years because I start with the the little car with the twin rotor engine. Then we had the third rotor, then the fourth rotor. Uh, but talking about the four four rotor engine, it, it was just beautiful. It was uh, first the sound; everybody could hear the sound, but that was part of the, the, the magic and made the car iconic. So also inside the car, uh, it was very nice to, to hear and, and, and to have that engine behind you. Having said that, uh, it was, when, when it came um, 1991, uh, it became quite a torquey engine. So it was, dri- the drivability was, uh, was very good uh, because we had uh, uh, inlet trumpets as you can remember that were varying varying lengths and because of that we could have torque at uh, low speed and 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 power at the, at the top end so the drivability was very good the engine was extremely reliable the only thing was the only danger was uh, in case you revved it uh, over say 9500 you could da- damage the apex which is uh, the, the the part um um that could be sensible, but apart from that, uh, and in fact, I remember the Japanese after the victory, they stripped the winning engine, and they said that engine is is ready. We would put it back into into a race car wow. for, for the to start another 24 hours race. So the, really? the wear was very. Uh,
0: your journey with Mazda, how did you how did you get involved with Mazda in the first place, and what were they like as a as a manufacturer to to be involved with?
1: Well. The connection at the start was uh, was Tom walking show, because as you may remember, 10 years before, uh, Tom was uh, uh, tuning, uh, preparing the RX-7, the the little touring GT car from from Mazda, campaigning in uh, in England. And also there was a program in Belgium. So he picked me as a driver. Uh, We won the championship that year. And together with Tom, we won the uh, the 24 hours of Spa in 1981 with the RX-7. So that was the first major win, international win for Mazda. So we had a lot of uh, uh, impact in in Japan. And then uh, Mazda Speed was at that time a very small concern. They invite me to do the the Fuji 1000 race um, in uh, in there the the year after. And so the connection start with uh, Mazda Speed. And from then on, you know, they asked me to do Le Mans and uh, I became a, a regular in the team.
0: You'd driven with both of your Japanese co-drivers before at Le Mans, uh, I, I think in 84 you were all together in the 727C, and, and you'd driven with uh, Tirada-san, with David Kennedy as well I think, in, was that about 88, 89, so you, yes. knew, you knew both of the guys? Yes, I started. I started
1: with uh, with the Japanese, obviously, at Fuji, or when we did the, the race, the Japanese championship. So that was Terada and Yorino. They were the two two Japanese uh, faithful faithful drivers. And then also I started to, to race with uh, or to, to team with David Kennedy. And most of my Le Mans I did with uh, with David. So we build on a very good relationship. You know how important it is in endurance racing. And uh, on top of that, we be, we became close friends. But uh, we shared the car for you know miles and miles and miles. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was a setup.
0: So coming into 1991, it was rather like now actually a time of great change in the top class of sports car racing. The new. FIA three and a half litre formula was coming in that wanted manufacturers to build these three and a half litre engines ultimately because they wanted some more um, Formula One entrance I, I think if you, if, you, if you want to sort of look at that a little bit further down the line uh, Mazda were resolutely sticking with their rotary with the four rotor engine for 1991 what do you remember about the build up and, uh, and any thoughts of, of tactics going into the race
1: well, you know, uh, the regulation were banning the, the rotary engine because, as you said, the, the, the trend or the new regulation was for the Formula One uh, 3.5 uh, liter, liter engine. And uh, Mazda always had kind of limited resource. And at the, the, the same time, uh, the, the rotary engine was their identity. So they were only interested to race with the with the rotary engine or they only had the the financial possibility to race with that engine. No way they were going to develop a Formula One engine or so on. And uh, then, uh, you you know, the transition between uh, Group C, which was a fantastic category based on fuel consumption to uh, the new regulation was quite, uh, quite difficult. It took a little bit of time. And so it extend the life of the rotary engine. Initially, uh, the rotary engine last, last race would have been 1990. But then because there were not so many cars in the new regulation, it was extended for an extra year. And then uh, there was, you know, not talking about balance of performance, but th- there was an equivalency between uh, the rotary engine and, and uh, the new cars. And to cut the, the, the story short, uh, the, the new generation of cars, okay, they were allowed to race as per regulation. The Group C car, which were also the, the, the dinosaur in the, in the mind of the FIA, because that, that was the car they wanted to get rid of, they were given a penalty, an extra weight of 100 kilo. And the Mazda, initially the FIA wanted to uh, give him an, an extra 50 kilo. So it was supposed to race at 880 kilo. But because of clever uh, lobbying from uh, Mr. O'Hashi from Mazda Speed, uh, he managed to convince the ACO and FIA to uh, be allowed to race at the same initial weight, which was 130 kilo. And those 50 kilo, Made quite a difference into into the race in terms on fuel consumption. And the reason why nobody uh, uh, saw that coming is because mm-hmm. the years before the Mazda was never considered as a, as a treat, as a as a challenger. So nobody cared really. And it's yes. only once the race done, and especially Tom Walkinshaw, all of a sudden you discover, oh, that car can be very competitive now. So that's uh, that's one of the
0: so so eight hundred and thirty kilos is is what you guys uh, raced at which uh, yes. which which was um as you say, much lighter than the the, the older group C cars um, that were out there in fact some of the manufacturers of course took their new cars um, practiced them and, and didn 't qualify them Mercedes and, and jaguar I think took both both versions um, typical of Tom though, uh, to to be involved in something mr. Walkenshaw was very good indeed in, in being involved in something where there was a little bit of reading between the lines of the rules or, or, or lobbying that was that was mr. Walkenshaw all over and you you have known that from from all your time with them
1: yeah of course but i mean they were they were obliged uh, the manufacturer were obliged to to enter their new their new cars if they wanted to compete in the in the world championship Mm. but there was as you said no intention to to race those cars for the simple reason that they were not reliable i mean with a formula one engine at that time the engine had not been uh, developed for endurance racing and they would have lasted only uh, a couple of hours and that's what happened also with the peugeot because peugeot did not have a group c car so they start with the, the new generation car but uh, that year they, they they didn't they didn't far very well they were out after a few hours
0: and and ultimately, of course, as you say, this was to be the last year. Nineteen ninety-one was the last year of the of the rotary engine. The next year, when Mazda came back, it was uh, I think it was a Judd engine um, that that they used. They did come back to defend at Le Mans, but but effectively, this was the absolute last chance for the rotary for the rotary engine. Did that in in any way put more pressure on on the team or even? You know, at that point, did you guys say, well, you know, it's Le Mans, Le Mans is Le Mans. anything can happen, we're just going to get into it and see what will happen?
1: Yes, for, for sure. For uh, we, we knew it was the very, very last chances. but also what happened, at, I think it was around 89, they got another top manager in Japan, and, and, and that guy took it seriously. So he put more resource behind the, the effort. So 89, 90 and 91, there were a lot of uh, developments made. So they, 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 they pushed uh, very hard. And that's also the reason why by 1991, we were, I mean, proper challenger to the, to the top guys, which were Mercedes, which were Porsche, which were uh, Jaguar, of course. And now coming back to those 100 kilo that were added to the, because that, that was a, si- a significant factor. So the the Group C cars had to add 100 kilo. They had to race at 1,000 kilo, and that killed the Porsche as far as reliability was concerned because they had brake and they had gearbox problems. So that that ruined the chance of uh, the Porsche into the race. The Jaguar, we beat them fair and square only on consumption because they had the pace. But come Sunday morning when the 50, 55 car was was charging. Uh, they, they just couldn't respond because they were out of their fuel consumption. So uh, Jaguar was beat on fuel consumption. And the only one who, who would have beaten Mazda was Mercedes, because the leading Mercedes, when it had its its problem with an alternate bracket, was kind of a three lapse in front. So if that car hadn't failed on reliability, there is no way we could have catched it.
0: Uh, it, as you see it was a it was a a, a proper effort, a serious effort in, in ninety-one, and the driving talent. Put aside the three Formula One guys who who won the race, which was I think as big a shock to to them perhaps as it was to everybody else because everybody thought that they would break break the car so in, in your car we've talked about with uh, Yorino and Terada you you were in that car it was David Kennedy, Stefan Hansen and Maurizio Sandro Sala in the other car now all of these drivers knew which way was up as we would say in English and then you had the three young chargers as well this was serious stuff, uh, Pierre. Coming into this race, w- was there any, was there any discussion about tactics before the race? About like, right, you guys are going to do this because in those days it was a proper reliability test, Lebon. Not, not like now. We expect everybody to get to the to the end. Maybe not this year, but, but, um, you know, the, the tortoise and the hare sort of thing. What was what was spoken about before the race?
1: Well, there again, it, it, it goes quite a, a long way back before because, and uh, in fact, David Kennedy and myself, we played uh, quite a role into that because, you know, the Japanese being very traditional, uh, they were keeping the same drives all the time. And uh, we kept, David and myself, we kept saying to uh, Mr. Owashi who was the boss, he said, look, it's very good, you trust us, but every year we are, we, we are one year older. So by one day, you will have all drivers. So you need to, to educate and, and bring in uh, younger drivers. And that's the reason why um, they took, uh, they took uh, drives from a different profile, from 3000 or even Formula One at that time. And uh, they start to bring them to Le Mans. Uh, I think they were already with us in 89 or, or, or certainly '90. So they were trained. And I remember David and myself, we were loafing when they started uh, uh, racing at Le Mans because, of course, they were quick on one lap, but then they would spin, they would make a mistake, so they, they were not ready for it. But come 90, the three of them, uh, as you say, they were the young charger, and uh, their speed, uh, speed and consistency in the race also played a very important uh, a factor in uh, a very important role in, into the win, yeah, for sure. Johnny, um, Volker, and, and and Bertrand, they were very good, and also uh, they learned to um, to to cope with the fuel consumption because that was not in their nature.
0: Yes, of course, and still very much. And, I mean, and that- then it became. Yeah, it became a little
1: game between, between themselves. I think it's Nigel Stroll who said the, the, the good one was, uh, was Bertrand, Bertrand Gachot, to start with. And the others were kind of out of, uh, of the target. And then they start to discuss between themselves, look at the data, and so on. And it became a little game, you know. Ah, I'll, next time, next uh, next stint, I will be better than you. I will, uh, I will be quicker uh, within the, the the fuel consumption. So the, they did a, an incredible drive job on in the cockpit. Yeah, uh,
0: it it was incredible because their pace, as you say, and their, their what we would now call it a stint average, um, their stint averages were were extraordinary. Um. In your car, then, um, what do you remember of the race itself? Um, uh, Terada, of course, is is possibly the one of the, the greatest drivers never to have won Le Mans. I think twenty nine starts without a victory. Twenty eight of those were were consecutively, and I, I always felt a little bit for for Terada because he was a very very good driver indeed, and just. Never seemed to be in in the right car, and I could say, Pierre. I have to be honest. I could say similar things a- about you. Well,
1: for most of our Le Mans, of course, we we, we did not have any chance at outright victory because uh, the car was was not capable of uh, of winning Le Mans. Having said that, with Mazda, I think we won. Uh, uh, yeah, we won three times. Uh, David and myself, we won three times. the a class. So, so we had uh, three uh, class victory uh, at Le Mans, which was good, but <clears throat> no way we could challenge for our tried victory. But you know that was okay. Now coming back to '91, uh, as, as you remember, there were it was the last last chance. So uh, Mazda made the nine eight nine eight seven 987B, uh, the 787B, which was the evolution. And there were a lot of uh, change in that car, including the carbon brakes, because Mazda was the first to uh, take the chance of uh, doing Le Mans with with the carbon brakes. But they knew that it was risky and they didn't want to to have a complete failure at Le Mans. So uh, they took us, the the two Japanese and myself, into the, the older car, the car from the previous year, which was by then bulletproof, very, very reliable. And... Our mission was to bring that car to the finish and ensure a result, whatever happens. So we said, you do a steady race and you, you finish. But there was no way we could compete with the 787B with the, with the carbon brakes and the, the latest tweaks on the engine and also on aero because the, the B was about five seconds a lap quicker than, than the, the, the previous year's car.
0: We look at those years, and you said it earlier, Pierre, a golden era, uh, end of Group B, so, uh, Group C, excuse me. Um, we look at those years as a golden era of sports car racing. I suspect that we would look at the maybe the early 2000s, the mid-2000s, Audi and Porsche uh, and Toyota in a, in a similar vein in a few years to come. We are coming into perhaps another opportunity for that, type of excitement with different manufacturers coming in with the new hypercar regulations LMH and the IMSA version LMDH seemingly bringing the whole sports car world back together. We would have only dreamed of that uh, after 1991. You know, yes, we had the IMSA class, you, you won it a couple of times, but then they seem to go their, their own separate ways excited for what is to come now in your your new role as uh, at, at wrt well you
1: know of course uh, you always look at the at the future Now, <laughs> i'm not going to be around another another 10 years or so... Um, maybe that, that new chapter won't be for, for me, but uh, for motorsport, of course, it is excellent news. And we all got very excited. And I think you were there a couple of years ago in Daytona when the announcement was made. And, 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 and it took, I mean, it, it was such a, a great day for all motorsports fans to, to hear about the news that uh, USA and, and, and Europe were getting together to have a world, a world category. Uh, with uh, LMDH and uh, and and Hypercar, um, so that is very bright. It's very very promising because uh, several uh, manufacturers have committed to come back in uh, next year or by uh, 2023. Now we must keep our, our, our finger crossed because the world is changing rapidly. And now since you have all those manufacturers starting to announce that they will stop building. Uh, uh, internal combustion engine uh, within the next five to ten years, and there are laws to to go full full electric. So there there is still a cloud which might come over that uh, that bright future, and uh, we we have to hope that uh, uh, common sense will prevail and that uh, we won't turn totally electric.
0: Are they, uh, uh, I, I I mentioned that because there there are parallels, as we were talking about with 1991, in that it is a time of great change in, in the top class. But also, the other common factor is that for the first time in a long time, there is a section in the regulations for LMH that mentions a rotary engine. Rotary engines were, were outlawed for a very long time. With new technology, with new metal and alloy uh, technology, with new electronics, could there be a resurgence? And might we see a, a, a rotary engine back back at Le Mans?
1: Uh, you know, one very important thing is that uh, uh, because Mazda, well, put it another way, Mazda is working since many, many, many years on hydrogen engine because the rotary engine compared to the conventional engine, is uh, very well suited to, uh, for hydrogen. So there is, should hydrogen become uh, uh, the, next, uh, the next fuel, uh, there could be a very bright future for the rotary engine. So um, they kept working on that. At the moment, there is no business case, because, you know, <laughs> why, why would you produce, or some manufacturer, they, they, they start to showcase Hydrogen, hydrogen car uh, as a way to the future and, and, and clean cars. But uh, there is no business case because there is no distribution of I- hydrogen. But should the world go to hydrogen instead or parallel to electric? So, yeah, technically speaking, there is a lot of future for the rotary engine.
0: I, I, I'll drag you back to, to 1991 and your time with Mazda more generally. Uh, What is your overriding memory of 1991? Was there a big party afterwards? Did you realise as a team what history you guys had made and how long... How long it would last? Never mind the rotary engine. It was a very long time before Toyota managed to become the second Japanese manufacturer to win it. In in the tiredness, the excitement, the emotion of the end of nineteen ninety one. Do you think you guys had realised what had been achieved there by by Mazda Speed?
1: Yeah, well, it it, it seemed quite quickly uh, because well, we were a little bit prepared, and then when that victory came, of course. Uh, Come uh, Sunday, uh, 12 o'clock, when the Mercedes stopped at its pits with the problem and and, we seen two laps, uh, the Mazda was leading. Then, you know, it was unbelievable. But by by, by four o'clock or by the end of the race, we we had realized we had won. Then we we heard the, the news on the Monday. I remember driving back. Uh, in my car on Monday morning, I could hear the, the, all the radio in France. Uh, I mean, general news talking about uh, Mazda winning Le Mans. It, it, it was sensational. So the impact was huge. Was <laughs> if you ask me about uh, a memory of that, uh, you know, my boss or the boss of Mazda Speed, the, the person who deserved most of the credit for, for making that happen was Mr. Oashi, the boss of, uh, of, of, of Mazda Speed. And he was, uh, he, he passed away, fortunately, of, uh, some years ago. Uh, but he, he was very much of what you, a samurai. He was a, the, the traditional Japanese. He, he was very Japanese. So th- there was a, a distance between ourselves. And I remember uh, he, he used to say to David Kennedy and myself, we, we laughed about that. He said, oh, you the drivers. I respect you because I can, you, I can send you out and you would die for me. And you know, before going into a car, it it was kind of of frightening, but that that was a little bit the Japanese, the samurai samurai spirit. So he he was very much like that. And then uh, when he came back from the podium, he had that that trophy, and uh, he took me and he he hugged me. And you don't expect the Japanese to, to, to hug you. And he was crying. And I think it's the only time in my life that I've seen uh, tears on on a Japanese face, you know, and and that is the the image that uh, I keep uh, from the, the strongest image that I keep uh, from that day.
0: Pierre, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, remembering that uh, that great week culminating in the master winning in 1991. Um, the, the way that you went racing was in some ways very Japanese, very honourable uh, and you continue to do so and you continue uh, to uh, bring your experience into the sport that we all love. Thank you very much Pierre de for remembering 1991 here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans
1: Thank you John, it was a pleasure and enjoyed the race and uh, we all look to the future now